Welcome to a new series we're doing. It's two parts, probably because that's probably all we're all going to be able to handle because it's going to feel a little overwhelming. Um, and we're doing this series primarily from a selfishly helpful vein of thought um, because I love space. Um, I, I get a real kick out of it. Um, and I love talking about it and uh, learning about it. Um, and so I thought, hey, why not make a series about it? Um, because even in the Bible, there's a lot of references to space and the kind of the unknown and the vastness of it. Um, here in the Psalms, it actually says, um, one of the psalmists says in, in uh, Psalm chapter 8, he says, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, I think we have the verse, maybe, maybe not, yeah, there it is, work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place. I don't know about you, but when I do that, I'm left in awe. Because as I sit there um, in my very limited amount of free time, and I consider the heavens and the moon and the stars, and I uh, go even a little bit farther than that, I, I have a subscription to a scientific magazine, and I read a lot about it in there. Uh, I listen to podcasts. I've even read uh, books on astrophysics and, and that kind of thing, which most of it just goes like that, but half of it's really interesting. Um, I sit back, and I'm truly in awe. And my wife, Stephanie, uh, who's a pastor here, can attest, and she can tell you um, that I will, at points uh, throughout each year, I will, like, drag her outside. I'll say, hey, Steph, you got to come look at this, because I'll go outside, or I let the dogs out, and I'm outside with them, and I get out an app on my phone. Some of you maybe have heard of these apps where they show you each star in the night sky, and you just hold your phone up, and it, you can click on the stars on your phone, not on the sky. Well, you can try, but, you know, and, and you click on them, and then they tell you how far away they are, and how big they are, and their names and some interesting facts about them. It even tells you uh, if there's space debris floating in space and where it is so you can find it. it. It's really quite incredible. And I'll sit there and I'll find some really cool things or I'll see some really cool things and I'll drag her out there and be like, look at this. And she's like, cool, you know. Um, and I'm sitting there and I'm so excited about it. Um, I, one, of the, one of the coolest things that I love to look at, uh, if it's a really dark night, sky, you can actually see it with your naked eye as, as you, if you let your eye kind of adjust, is you can look up and you can see our entire galaxy, not an entire galaxy, but you can see a slice of our galaxy, our Milky Way galaxy. And many people um, have made quite a living taking pictures of our galaxy just with a simple camera on a tripod out in the middle of nowhere. It really is quite incredible. Um, now, some of you may, like me, think space is really neat and everything about it is really cool. Um, others of you may um, not think it's so great, um, may not be quite as interested in it, and I totally understand that, and I just beg your patience. For example, a couple, uh, um, I don't know, months, maybe it was a year or two ago, uh, I was sitting out, I don't even know who was there, but it was just some people, and we were sitting around a campfire, and it was dark out, and I see this bright light in the sky, and it was moving across the horizon really quickly, and I'm like, oh, what's that? So I get out my phone, and I look at it, and then I click on it, and it was the International Space Station just cruising along up there, and I'm like, guys, that's, look, it's the International Space Station, and they're like, cool, you know? Now, I thought it was cool, but, but not, maybe not everybody um, does as well, and, and that's okay. Um, I, I actually, uh, I think I as I think about why I like space so much, I think it's because we don't know very much about it. Like, in all honesty, we don't know a lot, period. We're still learning constantly new and different 
things. In fact, a lot of this message, I had to go back and I had to like fact check it because it's changed since um, I have uh, maybe first heard some of these facts uh, because we are constantly discovering new and different things. But for me, this is me, and hopefully by the end of today, especially by the end of the next two Sundays, I hope it leaves you with a deeper respect for God and how big God is. Because, and I get this, you may not believe in God. I understand that if you aren't there yet. But after today and after next Sunday, I hope you will leave with a different perspective at the very least. A perspective that takes into account how little we understand and how little we are. And that you, as all of us, would respect that reality a bit more. I hope... I don't say this often, but I hope it would leave us all more humble. I hope it would put life into greater perspective. If you don't already know this, the universe is way, my friends, it is way, way too big for just us. Uh, Stephen Hawking, uh, the famous astrophysicist, theoretical physicist, um, did a TV show uh, for three episodes and uh, you can watch it on Discovery Plus. And in one of the opening scenes of the episode, I actually took it and brought it so you could see it today. It gives a model of our universe. Each of these specks is not a speck of light or a star. It is an entire galaxy. And this was a scientific model done using supercomputers to try to get some sense of scale and vastness of our entire universe. And this is what they came up with. It is way, way too big for us. But it's a perfect size for a vast, incredible, indescribable God. To understand how vast the universe is, we need to first understand, or you can start, use this as a starting point at the very least, we need to first understand light. Okay, Light is a really incredible thing. Um, in Christianity, we believe God created light. In fact, we believe that God created light at the very beginning. It was like one of the first things, top priority list on God's list. And what's even more interesting, I think, in fact, the first time I heard uh, this particular three-episode show um, put on by Stephen Hawking, um, he actually says in the very first episode, about 11 minutes in, he said at the, in, in uh, scientific um, theory, there is the Big Bang, and he said, the first thing into the universe at the point of the Big Bang, you'll never guess, is light. Light is the very first thing in the universe. And at that point of creation, at the point in which light came into the universe, it was traveling at an incredible speed, and it still travels at the very same speed today. It travels at 100, approximately, um, 100 and 86,000 miles, not an hour, a second. A second. Just 1%, 1% of this speed would get you from L.A. to New York in a little over one second. That's how incredibly fast the speed of light is. At just 1% the speed of light, it is 10,000 times faster than a commercial jetliner. Light is an incredible thing. And at the point of creation, light comes screaming into the universe 
and continues to do so ever since. And so scientists took this incredible figure that they're continuing to still, they haven't actually distilled down exactly how fast the speed of light is. They're still getting more and more specific year after year and, and measuring as, as technology advances. Um, but they defined uh, a distance, a new distance. And the new distance was a light year, which you've probably heard of, especially if you're a Star Trek fan. Um, you know, you got to go warp whatever, which is so many times the speed of, of light. And if you're a Star Wars fan, I'm sorry. It's just not quite... As cool as Star Trek. But anyways, so, so, so speed of light, okay? And then they said, however far the speed of light takes in a year, an Earth year, or technically a Julian year, to travel, that is going to be our new measurement. And a uh, beam of light travels at that speed in one year 5. 5.88 trillion miles in one Earth year. That's an incredible span of distance. Because in God's universe, inches, feet, and for my football friends, a yard is not going to cut it in God's universe. You're going to have to think bigger. And in fact, as our understanding of the universe has grown bigger, we found that the light year doesn't quite cut it like it used to, even at that vast distance and speed. It's just way too small. It just doesn't scale up to God's size. So our galaxy, that thing that you can look up at a dark night sky and see from the, from the ground, you can see uh, the, it go through the night sky. The Milky Way galaxy, our home galaxy, is pretty big. The place that we call our home galaxy. This is a scientific rendering of the Milky Way galaxy because nobody has ever been outside of our galaxy to take a picture, but we have a pretty educated guess on, on what it is based on what we can see from here and what we have seen in other galaxies, our galaxy is 100,000 light years across. In other words, if you were traveling at the speed of light, it would take you 100,000 years to get from one end to the other. That is how vast just our single galaxy full of billions of stars and billions of planets is. Our one galaxy. See, this is why we have to understand God in a new way because God works on a scale that I, we never, we rarely in our daily lives ever come face to face with. You're not sitting there going through the Starbucks line wondering, how big is our galaxy? You're never out Christmas shopping wondering, how long would it take me to get from end to end? Very few people deal with these numbers. This is why I think it's so important to look at this because this is incredible and this is small as you're about to find out. We have to right-size ourselves and our God. So the bummer is, unfortunately, we are not the center of our own galaxy. You may have told a girlfriend or boyfriend that they are the center of the galaxy for you, but that is just not factually true. At the center of our galaxy is a massive, supermassive black hole, which is not romantic at all. We are not at the center. We're, in fact, right about there, give or take. And you say, well, Taylor, I can't see there. Yes, because it, we don't show up on this scale. We're just way too small. But we take up a small part of our galaxy in, like, the back corner of a small cul-de-sac. We're not even in one of these big spiral arms, and that's actually not a bad thing. But we're right kind of in the middle in our own, like, subdivision and then in the back of the subdivision in a cul-de-sac where nobody ever goes, that, that's where we are. 
I don't know what you want to take away from that, but, you know, we're just, we just found a nice quiet part of the neighborhood to live, okay? And that's where we call our, where we call, excuse me, home. For a size comparison, just our solar system, if you took our solar system and you made our solar system the size of this quarter, we would be compared to our galaxy, compared to the Milky Way galaxy, we would be like taking this quarter outside, putting it on the pavement, and then going up to space and trying to find the quarter on the North American continent. The continent, not just the United States, the entire North American continent, we take up the space, our solar system takes up the space of this quarter. And some of you are having a hard time, I don't even know how it's showing up on the camera, but some of you are having a hard time seeing this quarter from 50 feet away, let alone in the space of our entire continent. And if you zoom in on that space, and you zoom in, and you zoom in, and you zoom in, and you zoom in in a lot more, eventually you find us and our Earth. And this was a very famous picture taken of our Earth from Apollo uh, 17, and uh, it was like one of the first like real big pictures of our Earth, and and, uh, if if you um, were growing up or around during those days, um, that was probably somewhat of a, you know, it was an awe-inspiring moment because we kind of had an idea what the earth looked like, but this was just like such a front and center picture of our earth. And everybody you know and you love, everybody that you will ever know lives on this piece of rock in the middle of our galaxy. It's a sliver. Actually, I think even a sliver may be too generous to say how small our earth is in comparison to the world. And isn't it interesting that even though we're on such a small part of the universe, most of us think we're kind of all that, you know? Most of us think we're doing all right. Some of us think that we don't need a God. Instead, we need lots of money need a good job and career path. We dream of fame. We dream of influence and popularity. We dream of a future career. We'll even go so far as to to, um, start a war with other people from our little blue dot neck of the woods to protect our land in the face of other people which is really interesting that we would even go to such great lengths to exterminate our own species, considering that if you actually put us on a galactic scale, by our own standards, we are considered a very critically endangered species because our habitat is so small and our population, and compared to even just planets alone, let alone stars, we are tiny tiny, tiny. We are critically endangered species, yet we act like we're all that. And we treat one another like they are expendable. We're not even that big in our own solar system. Let me introduce you to the closest star to us. And that star, we have a name for it. We call it the sun. This is our sun. And size comparison-wise, and some of you know this, maybe you remembered this from growing up in in class, um, and I'm going to use a golf ball 
as a size comparison. This golf ball for the rest of today's talk is going to represent Earth. So what I want need you to do, I can move it wherever you need me to move it. This is a burner 2.0. It has even a scuff mark on it, so it was used. Um, like planet Earth. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, maybe taking advantage of it. I don't know. So anyways, um, this is our planet. And so if you would, just find yourself on that real quick. Everybody got themselves? That's great. Okay, this is planet Earth for the rest of our talk today. Planet Earth compared to our sun, and I'm going to make our camera people work pretty hard. Okay, if you go to the next slide, planet Earth is um, this if our sun was at a diameter of about 15 feet. And these screens are about uh, 10 feet diagonal, um, less wide. And so it would be as though I took our sun. Actually, let's go to this screen. Sorry, camera people. Okay. This is Earth to our sun. We're really small. We're really small, even compared to our own solar system. Okay. Our sun is incredibly powerful. Versus, especially versus anything we've created ourselves. Um, the, uh, the sun, um, the sun is, is the most powerful thing in, in, our, um, in our solar system by far. Uh, we think um, some of the most powerful human-made objects um, would include probably a thermonuclear weapon. In fact, the most powerful thermonuclear weapon ever created was in Russia called the Tsar Bomb. Okay? Our sun produces... Enough energy to equate to 1.8 billion SAR bombs, not a year, not an hour, a second. You take our most powerful thermonuclear weapon times 1.8 billion, and you have to detonate them a second to equal just our sun. Just our sun and everything that has life on this earth is connected in some way to our star, our sun. We are tiny both in size and in power compared to God's universe, let alone just our solar system. And our star isn't even the biggest. It doesn't really even rank. And to give you some context of this, I'm actually going to go to a a little part of the Bible um, called the book of Job. And the book of Job is a really incredible story. You could study the book of Job for years and still probably not understand it. The book of Job is this very, very, very unique story in the Old Testament, the first half of the Bible, the pre-Jesus part of the Bible, where this man, who isn't even Jewish, the Old Testament was written and and kind of uh, held together by um, uh, Israel, and the nation of Israel, God's people, the Jewish people, and uh, he's not even a Jewish guy, and, uh, he, but he's a really nice guy. He's a really swell guy. And so there's this whole thing at the start that kind of sets up the story where um, Job, uh, God says, hey, Job, he's awesome. And then the, uh, the Satan or the accuser comes to God and says, well, he's, he's only, um, you know, so great because you take care of him and you protect him and all these things, God. Let me be his, be his caretaker. Okay, and God says, okay, fine. We'll see what happens when you become his caretaker. And so um, Job suffers a lot, period. I mean, he just suffers and suffers and suffers at the hands of the accuser. And then he gets into a debate with his friends. And so for the majority of the book of Job, like 35 chapters are Job debating with um, his friends who are like representative of the wisest people in humanity at that time, um, debate 
whether or not God is just, whether or not God is right, whether or not God is all-powerful, which just so happen to be some of the debates that you have all had in your life at some point of whether or not God is just and wise. And so um, God lets all this debate happen. And then in chapter 38, near the very end of the book, God steps in and says, time out, Job. You've had your debate. I need to level set with you. And in chapter 38, he takes Job on a, a virtual tour of the universe as it would have been understood in, you know, 3,000 years ago. Just kind of like we're doing today, but without all the scientific discoveries that we've made over the last few millennia. And so he says, Job, God says, I need you to put your doubts and your fears and your anger and your questioning of me into context. And so he begins to ask Job a ton of questions. He says, Job, were you there at the foundations of the earth when the earth was created? And Job's like, well, of course I wasn't. Job, have you ever seen where rain comes from? Have you ever been in the storehouses of hail? You know, hail comes from those giant thunderstorms that stretch miles into the sky and are full of balls of ice and flying around at incredible speeds. Job, have you ever been in one of those? No, I haven't been in one of those. And he finally gets in, in chapter 38. He gets down, God does, and he gets to the point and he says, Job, can you bind the chains of the Pleiades? Can you loosen Orion's belt, which are constellations, constellations which most of you still know, especially Orion and Orion's belt. You know those today. He says, Job, can you touch those? Can you do anything about those? To which, of course, Job says, no. Of course Job can't, and neither can we. Because what's Job trying to, or what's God trying to do? He's trying to put Job's view and perspective in God's perspective. He's trying to help all of us to gain some perspective. Here's a, a picture of the Pleiades. And I know I'm not saying these right, and I, the next one I'm totally going to butcher, but it's, way cooler the other way to say it but anyways so this is the place it's beautiful um it's it's blue and there's all these stars it's really young and it will actually become extinguished uh, pretty quickly probably in the next hundred million years um and it just stands out in the night side you can see it with the naked eye um or the more famous one is orion and this is a picture of orion's um, belt um these are all pictures taken from just novice people out there with their camera the last one was taken a month ago in arizona um but uh, this is Orion, and here's his belt, very famous, and these beautiful blue stars. And there's two stars that stand out in the midst of, of this. Two stars. And this is where I think God, in his understanding of the universe, was saying to Job, Job, you can't touch the place. You can't touch Orion. Orion itself is 642.5 light years away from you. Can't touch this. Sorry, that was, that was on, okay. Um, yeah, you can't touch. Um, and what's so unique about Orion is two of the most br bright stars, top 10 brightest stars in our sky, night sky, on Earth's night sky, are part of Orion. They're down here. This big guy down here um, is named Regal. Uh, that's the names given to him, or the star, I should say. And uh, it burns at 72,000 times, uh, or 32,000 times degrees on its surface compared to our sun, which burns at 10,000. It is bright, it is hot, it is a super blue giant is what it's called. And then up here, you have this incredible star. Anybody actually know what this star is? Betelgeuse, you're right. This is Betelgeuse. And when I first understood the scale 
that's not actually how you say it, but you know, we're going to go with the cool pronunciation. Beetlejuice, you start to understand just how tiny, tiny we are. See, Beetlejuice is twice the size, not of our sun, twice the size of our, um, our uh, orbit around the, the sun, Earth's orbit around the sun. That's the size of Beetlejuice. If the Earth were a golf ball, found yourself, Beetlejuice would be the Empire State Building stacked six times on top of itself and the golf ball laid at its feet. Beetlejuice is so big, uh, 262 trillion Earths could fit inside of it. Or going and filling up the Superdome in New Orleans with golf balls 3,000 times. That's how big Beetlejuice is. There's actually a great uh, video on YouTube. I, I brought it along for you to compare the size. Here it is. This is our sun. And then pretty soon you'll start to see some orbits of our near planetary neighbors, um, Mercury, and then we'll get Venus, and then we'll get our orbit, and then we'll get Mars's orbit. And then we start to bring into focus Beetlejuice. And our little sun becomes just like a star in the night sky. And we're not done yet. This is that star that you can see from 642.5 light years away. It is a red super giant. It is massive. And scientists estimate, based on its uh, transmission of light and changes and all these kinds of things, that it will go supernova sometime in the next 100 million years. I think it would actually be really great if it went supernova sometime this week because then you'd all be like, oh my gosh, Pastor Taylor, he's amazing. He told this. He's a prophet or something. Okay. Um, It's so, so, and when it goes supernova, it's uh, explosion, 642.5 light years away will light up not only our night sky, but we'll be able to see it in the day. It will be the brightest object short of our sun in the day sky for weeks because of the power of its explosion that far away. And you think about it, when we bow our heads and we pray, we pray, we pray, pray for things like, you know, thank you, God, for this food. Thank you, God, for this Christmas. Thank you, God, uh, please help so this ham, you know, tastes better than it looks. Uh, help that girl in that one class notice me or that guy across the cubicle from me notices me, you know. God, you know, uh, help me pass my exam, you know, help me, uh, you know, get my driver's license. I mean, this is how small we are. And I'm not saying these prayers are bad. Please keep praying. I'm just saying, in perspective, to this big of a God, do we always pray the right way? Now, this feels far away. This planet feels far away, but it's not. Here's a picture of our neighborhood. Um, the, this is, our, this is um, our sun is right here, and this is the Orion Nebula right here, 642 light years away. They're like next-door neighbors. Next-door neighbors in our little neighborhood of our galaxy. The largest known star in our galaxy, um, UY Skatai is what it's called. It is incredible. It is incredible. If the earth were a golf ball, 
6.4 quadrillion Earths would fit inside UY Skatai. And it's really hard to understand a quadrillion. Um, you know, we kind of know a billion, a million. We kind of know a billion. But I think above that, we really lose track of scale when it gets to like trillions and quadrillions because that's after trillion is quadrillion. Um, so I found a really good Google explanation for comparison of a sky or size, excuse me, and these numbers. So not only are you going to get an idea of how small the earth is and how big this one star is, but you're also going to have a, a healthier respect for how big our national debt is all in one teaching. So lucky you. Um, <clears throat> 1,000 1, 1, seconds ago is how many minutes ago? Anybody want to take a stab? 12, 12 minutes is 1,000 seconds. Okay, let's go up. How long ago was a million seconds? Anybody want to take a, a stab at that? About 12 days ago. Anybody want to guess what, what 1 billion seconds ago would be? Want to take a stab? Maybe like July, give or take. If you thought July or you agreed with me July, you're right. It is July of 1990. When you get into the billion, things really start to change. Now let's go to a trillion. Anyone want to take a second stab at how many seconds or how far back is one, one trillion seconds? How long ago was a trillion seconds? Jesus, you know, sometime back then, no. Approximately 29,000 BC or 31,000 years ago is a billion seconds. Or excuse me, a trillion seconds. Now, let's go to one quadrillion seconds. Anybody? You guys give up. Okay, I get it. Um, 30,800,000 years ago is the scale of one quadrillion seconds ago. And UI Skatai is six quadrillion in comparison to our Earth. And you want to know the craziest thing? Is when you go back to our galaxy the size of our galaxy, if we go to the next slide. You can't find UI Skatai on here. It's not big enough to scale with our galaxy. And your heavenly father breathed this into existence with a word. And if you're sitting here right now as I am, like goosebumps, and you feel a little insignificant, if you feel insignificant, Oh, just wait until next week. But also, also, it's okay to wrestle with this. In fact, I want you to wrestle with your insignificance. Because the thing that we struggle with more than anything, in my humble opinion and in Christianity's opinion, is sin. Sin is when we miss the mark with God. And sin has this incredible ability to puff ourselves up, to make us puff ourselves up, and to size God down, to make him manageable, to make us feel in control, and that is way, way wrong. Sin has this incredible ability to puff us up next to our neighbors, to puff us up in our problems and our, our pity parties and our sadness, puff that all up and make it the center of the universe. 
to make them seem so big and powerful, to make money seem so important or our political views so critical or our pride or in our one-upping and our beating everyone else and being better and smarter than everybody else and making ourselves better than everybody else when the truth is we are insignificant. And the only thing that makes us significant is God's view of us. God, who is so incredibly big, valuing us. I didn't give you the rest of the verse at the very beginning in Psalms chapter 8. He says, when I consider the heavens, the work of your fingers, God, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, it makes me wonder, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? Humanity, human beings that you care about them. Who are we? And honestly, it makes me wonder that too when we are so, so small and it makes us feel so insignificant. I think this is a great question. I think this is what we got to wrestle with. But God gives us the answer so clearly in the biblical story. He gives it to us over and over and over and over again why we're worth caring for. Because We are his children. We are his creation. He is and chose the title. We didn't give him the title, Father. He chose Father. Jesus prayed our Father because he wanted us to understand our relationship in terms that we could grasp. And so when I look at the size of God compared to our insignificant size, it actually makes me feel sometimes more significant. Because, here's what Paul said. Who will bring charges against, uh, uh, who, um, oops, right here. But in these things, we, are over, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. And all these things that we should fear and be anxious about and, and stress over, we shouldn't. Because of him who loved us. For I, Paul, am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depths, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So if any of those things that Paul just named have ever stood in your way, broken you down, left you feeling defeated and broken, Your God is way bigger than those. That's why we got to understand how big our God is. To understand we are insignificantly significant. We are both insignificant and significant at the same time because of who God is, period. Not because of anything we've done, because we're not that awesome. But we are that love. Because you are that, his creation. And we should love him in return. And we should, he is worthy of our trust and our devotion and certainly our worship. Because his creation, even us, is incredible. And we need to keep our mind and our hearts with a God-sized perspective. And we need to look at our world and we need to look at our neighbors. And we need to look at our society and our lives in the context of his graciousness. And his love and his forgiveness. Because that's when it begins to make a real difference. That's when we begin to think humbly as we should. 
We begin to think patiently, as we should. We begin to forgive, because in the grand scheme of things, is it really worth it? And we begin to look at our lives in the context in which God created us to exist in. In 1990, NASA sent a command to Voyager 1 space probe. And if you don't know what Voyager 1 or Voyager 2 is, you need to Google it when you get home because it's incredible. They're the only man-made objects to reach interstellar space. That's where they are right now. Still going along. And Voyager, at this point when this command was sent, was right at this location. I have a diagram to show you. It was right here. And the command was to turn around and to take a picture of Earth. Not for any scientific value, but to simply give us perspective. If you took a picture of Earth from outside the orbit of Neptune, what would we look at? And some of you were there because there was a whole press conference when this picture was taken 3.7 billion miles away from Earth. And this is the picture that Voyager 1 took and sent back. And caught in a beam of sunlight is a little dot that takes up two-tenths of a pixel in Voyager 1's camera. And that picture, that little pale blue dot, is us. That's all of us. That's all of humanity for the history of time. And in the uh, press conference, the man who suggested 10 years before that they should do this whole thing and take this picture, um, Carl Sagan, who's a very famous astronomer, um, he made some statements. And so I uh, found, not that I spend a lot of time on Etsy, but I found, I found this, uh, this uh, quote that he had during uh, the press conference. And then at the bottom of the little arrow is the little blue dot. And I thought, if I ever did, it's that God's so big. That's why I get emotional. Okay. If I ever did this series, I would uh, read this quote to you because I think, boy, he just, he really hits the nail on the head. Here's what he said. From this distant vantage point, the earth might not seem of any particular interest, but for us it's different. Consider that dot. That's here. That's home. That's us. And on it, everyone you love, everyone you know, everyone you've ever heard of, every human being who ever was lived or lived out their lives is here. The aggregate of our joy and our suffering, thousands of confident religions and ideologies and economic doctrines, every hunter and forager, every hero and coward, every creator and destroyer of civilization, every king and peasant, every young couple in love, every mother and father, hopeful child, inventor and explorer, every teacher of morals, every corrupt politician, every superstar, every supreme leader, every saint, sinner in the history of our species lived here on a moat of dust suspended in a sunbeam. The earth is very small. It's a small stage in a vast cosmic arena. Think of the rivers of blood spilled by all those generals and emperors so that in glory and triumph, they could become the momentary masters of a fraction of a dot. 
Think of the endless cruelties visited on the inhabitants of one corner of this pixel on the scarcely distinguishable inhabitants of another corner. How frequent their misunderstandings, how eager they are to kill one another, how fervent their hatreds. Our posturing, our self-imagined importance, the delusion that we have some privilege, position in this universe are challenged by this point of pale light. Our planet is lonely, a lonely speck in the great enveloping cosmic dark. The earth is the only world known so far to harbor life. There is nowhere else, at least in the near future, to which our species could migrate. Visit, yes. Settle, not yet. Like it or not, for the moment, the earth is where we make our stand. It has been said that astronomy is a humbling and character-building experience. There is perhaps no better demonstration of the folly of human conceit than this distant image of our tiny world. To me, it underscores our responsibility to deal more kindly with one another and to preserve the cherished blue dot, the only home we've ever known. We are so small, we can't fathom. And yet we are so loved by an incredible God, we can't fathom. God so loved a little pale dot that he said, I'll die for them. And to me, the only natural response to that, the only logical response is to love him back. Love our neighbors as ourselves. And how we get that wrong How I've got that wrong. One of my favorite parts of the whole Bible, there's a lot. But Isaiah 6, when he is before the throne of God, his only response is to lay on the ground face down because he is so overwhelmed by the majesty of the Most High God. And I think if collectively our humanity could look at ourselves in a God-sized perspective, it would change everything. It would help us to understand everything and everyone and even ourselves a whole lot better. So I invite you on the next clear night, which I think is actually tonight, to go outside and look up and to realize how insignificantly significant we are and how we should live that life with him in mind, with him as our creator from this day on. If you would, bow your heads and pray with me. Heavenly Father, Lord, Help our hearts 
wherever we are in our faith journey, wherever, however we see you, to be humble in this moment. To be humble to the place that we take up in your vast, vast universe. And to live our lives humbly. So humbly, in fact, that we're willing and able to name you as our creator, our father, our God. Lord, help us in the midst of our fear, in the midst of our sin, in the midst of our pride, to remember whose we are and whose world we live on and whose universe we live in. Lord, help today be a day that maybe transforms the kind of relationship we have with you and how we see you and how we live out our life from this day forward differently because you are the Lord of our universe. You are the king of our lives and our universe. And no, not death, not life, not the principalities of this world, not fear, anger, famine, or war would keep that, keep us apart from you. Lord, help us to trust that, to know that, to love that from this day on. In your name I pray, amen.